This is episode 186 of IDRA Class Notes. I think it's especially incumbent upon schools when they're looking at communities to ensure that they're being inclusive of all the different cultures. Because oftentimes schools might think, well, let's go to the typical PTA membership who might not really be representative of all the different religious faiths and and non-religious faiths also who have an interest in these dress codes. So this is incredible diversity that we should be embracing. But unfortunately, you know, religion goes very deep in families and communities. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to IDRA Equity Assistance Center South podcast on religion, equity, and school dress. My name is David Hinojosa. I'm the director of the IDRA EAC South, and with me today is Phoebe Schlanger, the senior publications editor with the Mid-Atlantic Equity Center in Maryland and co-author on an IDRA newsletter on religion, equity, and school dress codes. And we also have Netta Musa. She's a research and program associate also with the Mid-Atlantic Equity Center, and she's also a practicing Muslim who attended public schools during the past two decades, who will share her experiences with us today. So thank you all very much for joining us. Great to be here. Great to be here, too. All right. So I first wanted to set the stage, you know, because religion... And schools, you know, things should go hand in hand. We have certain freedoms that we'll be talking about here today. But across the U.S., we have, of course, you know, dozens and dozens of religions. According to the Pew Research Center, Christians are approximately 71% of the population responded to surveys. And there's 6% of non-Christian faiths. And then there's 20 who are unaffiliated with any uh, religion, so they might be atheist or agnostic or nothing really in particular. And so there's a wide range, and, and of course with this, you know, brings great promise because we have great diversity in religious beliefs uh, for, you know, the students and parents and families and schools. But unfortunately, you know, with this great diversity that we have, as with race and national origin and language and other student characteristics and things related to culture, we also experience many challenges in the schools. 2017 survey by the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding showed that 42% of Muslims with children in K-12 schools report bullying of their children because of their faith, compared with 23% of Jewish families and 20% of Protestant parents. So obviously there's some challenges that we have, you know, with these thorny issues about school discretion and setting dress codes versus religious freedoms. When we talk about these, Phoebe, I was hoping you might be able to start us off by discussing some of the foundational issues that schools and districts need to have in mind. Sure. The First Amendment protects freedom of speech and freedom to exercise religious beliefs. And schools are allowed. In fact, they have an obligation to control conduct in order to protect their students. And those interests must be balanced against each other. So schools have used dress codes as one method of controlling students. And sometimes these dress codes have interfered with or impeded religious observations. And when those cases end up in the courts, they're primarily dealt with under the First Amendment right to free speech. 
so most go back to the case of Tinker versus Des Moines Independent School District, and that was not a religion case. It involved, it was in 1969, and there were some students who wanted to wear black armbands to protest the Americans' involvement in Vietnam. The school board heard about this, passed a policy immediately saying they would suspend students who were subsequently suspended for wearing their armbands, and the case ended up in the Supreme Court. And Justice Fortas wrote the opinion for the court talking about the need of balancing interests between freedom of expression and schools' right and obligation to protect their students. And what emerged eventually was a three-part test. So first, a rule has to be intended to further an important government interest. Government being the school in this case, interest is often phrased in terms of school safety or student achievement. And then second, the rule has to be unrelated to the suppression of expression. Third, it has to be the least restrictive means to accomplish the government interest. And those are hard tests to pass. Compelling government interest is something that is essential or necessary. It's not a matter of choice or preference or discretion. Yeah, and it's obvious, you know, that the courts, again, you know, are concerned about these, you know, competing interests uh, between the schools and, of course, you know, under the First Amendment. There's also some religious protections under uh, Title IV, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and Title IX of the Civil Rights Act that allows the U.S. Attorney General to intervene into cases. And so some of these cases that have involved, you know, the Department of Justice and other private plaintiffs have involved uh, Native Americans, and hair, you know, so part of dress, of course, you know, is how you choose to wear your hair and how that might be affiliated with your own spiritual and and religious beliefs might be implicated. And so the courts have come down on schools that have tried to have some restrictions, you know, irrespective of uh, students' beliefs there. There's also been some rosary bead cases over the years in New York and and other states also where schools have come down on students trying to suggest that the wearing of rosary beads is affiliated with gang wear. And sometimes there hasn't been any real evidence of gangs wearing the uh, rosary beads other times, you know, different circumstances have come up in these cases where they could not satisfy that three-part test that has been applied in these types of cases. You know, for a lot of other different religious wares, so, you know, Jewish faith, you know, some within that faith will wear the yarmulkes, the skull caps, and uh, Sikhs may wear, you know, the patka, the head coverings. Schools can, you know, take some affirmative steps to ensure their policies are not infringing on a student's right to expressing and exercising their religion. So what are some of the actions, Phoebe, that uh, districts can take to ensure their dress codes are fair and reasonable? So best practices in developing a dress code. First, if you're a school, if you already have one, take a look at it. Ask yourself, is it neutral? Is it mandatory? Do you have opt-out provisions? Those certainly help. Make sure your policy is accessible to everyone, that it's in languages that your school community can understand. And then perhaps enlist members of your school community, your parents, your students, your teachers, to review your policy and maybe develop it further. Religious discrimination is prohibited, as you said, under Title IV and Title IX of the Civil Rights Act, and the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division is charged with enforcing these statutes, and they have. 
Yeah, those are excellent points. And I think it's especially incumbent upon schools when they're looking at communities to ensure that they're being inclusive of all the different cultures. Because oftentimes, you know, schools might think, well, let's go to the typical PTA membership who might not really be representative of all the different religious faiths and and non-religious faiths also who have an interest uh, in these dress codes. So it's incredibly important that they uh, think about inclusiveness when they're doing this because you also get buy-in from all the communities as well. Everybody understands this. Like you mentioned, you know, having clear language in the dress code to make sure that students are on notice of it and to ensure that nobody is infringing on anybody else's rights. So I know this might seem quite obvious, you know, but having reasonable and fair dress codes helps ensure that all children's uh, religious beliefs are respected. This can help reduce bullying and harassment based on religion, and it can help build a healthier climate for all students with stronger relationships between students and their peers, as well as between students and teachers, because some of the surveys that have been out there on religious bullying and harassment, for example, have shown that I think it's about 25% of the Muslim students who have been bullied and harassed have actually been as a result of the teacher's treatment. And it might be, you know, because of where, it might be because of practice and, and other things noticed in the school. And I think this is especially important, you know, at the point that we are, you know, in history with the national political divide that invokes, you know, religious dress and culture as well. So this is incredible diversity that we should be embracing, you know, across our schools and across our communities. But unfortunately, you know, religion goes very deep in families and communities. So, Nate, I was hoping you might take some time, you know, as a practicing Muslim student attending public schools over the past two decades, I was hoping you might be able to share with our listeners some of your experiences around religious stress. Oh, definitely, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more about increasing diversity in school, especially now with the political climate. When I was in public school, I was the only Muslim and I was the only veiled Muslim woman. And although my school and the district policies aligned with the laws and they were allowing me to wear my hijab in schools, there were things surrounding it that made it just a little bit more difficult for me to be practicing and having the faith that I have. For instance, like during gym class, women of faith, especially of the Muslim faith, are not allowed to change in front of other women even. It's not just men, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And to have to rush and take my clothes into the stall just kind of created a dissonance between me and my peers and me and myself, actually. It was really irritating, and I missed out on class time if I had to wait. Little things like accommodating students in that way is fantastic. I also was on the swim team, believe it or not. I had to wear a full (laughs) outfit, not a regular suit. And while they allowed it, it took a really, really long time and a lot of effort on my end to prove that I should be allowed to wear the suit in order to swim. A student, I believe, shouldn't ever be restricted from practicing any sport or any kind of activity simply because of their faith. So I think what what I saw and what everyone I hope is seeing here is the little things can really go a long way. And so if they're good things, they'll create progress in the long run. But if they're small issues, such as too much time to process a request for an outfit or too much time 
to ask for a new place to change. That can really go a long way in a student's experience. And also, it impacts climate. School climate is really important. I remember around prom is also, and even homecoming was really tense because, you know, try to dress up with a veil and all of these things are really complicated and a lot of people don't understand or see that this is normal and you can come dressed this way. You don't have to come dressed as everyone else. And to be able to change the climate in the school can really affect students and can make them feel more welcome. I think we really should be headed towards that path. Thank you for sharing. Phoebe, would you like to add anything? Just that the Anti-Defamation League has a great website on school dress codes uh, in case people want more information. Well, thank you very much for sharing, Nada. I do recall, you know, even with my daughter's school, who mm-hmm. is a pretty diverse place in San Antonio, suburban school, but still mixed, you know, on income, very mixed on race and religion. And I recall one of her teachers stating at some point during the class, and it was in the gifted class, and she wasn't necessarily challenging anybody. She just remarked terribly that everything would be better in America if everybody was a Christian. And she didn't understand why people can't just talk Christian. Again, we're not getting into that kind of discussion here. We're kind of limiting it to dress codes, but it is just remarkable that in the 21st century, we still have teachers thinking along those lines and imposing their own values and beliefs, uh, irrespective of the rights of students. There was even times where I requested services and I'd go to the schools. While they're super understanding and trying to kind of relate, I figured it wasn't a lack of the teachers or the counselors, but I think it was rather not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do, and coming in with assumptions. They would ask, is someone forcing you to wear this hijab? Is is it family? Is it friends? And I think that kind of opened up my eyes to how little information there is out there about students' experiences and how little counselors know about different faiths. And I really hope that this is what EAC centers all over can start to really delve into and do. Excellent. So I thank you all both for joining us this afternoon. It's been incredibly enlightening and insightful, you know, especially for our listeners. Uh, Should you need any services out there in the field, please look up your Regional Equity Assistance Center. There's four of us. Uh, We operate the Region 2 in the south with 11 southern states, including Washington, D.C. You can find more information on our website at IDRA. EACSouth.org. That's IDRA EACSouth, one word, dot org. And should you need any assistance there, you can fill out an intake or call us up. We'll be happy to visit with you and provide any resources and technical assistance that we'll be able to offer. So thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.